Tonight is September 13th, 2017. The title of tonight's message is Crazy Train. Crazy Train. Going off the rails. On a crazy train. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It says this. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Can I just tell you that the enemy is trying to uh, work some schemes on us as a church right now? Anybody ever felt schemed against? Anybody ever felt like you walked into something that you just weren't quite ready for? What I don't know how else to explain it tonight other than during worship, I felt like I heard a shofar sounding. I heard the shofar from heaven sounding and, and trying to call us, trying to awaken us, trying to get us ready for battle. My friends, I think that there are battles coming and in many cases they may already be here and we're just unaware of them. Let's not be unaware of what the enemy is doing in our lives. The reason I titled tonight Crazy Train is uh, I've, been, I've been talking to folks and some of the craziest thoughts that you can possibly have have been entering into people's minds lately. Been talking to them, and they're like, you know what, I had this incredible fear. Uh, someone that I love dearly, a family member, called my wife and basically said, yeah, I, I, I've been having panic attacks. Or I had a panic attack about you guys in Houston and the flooding. I was like, hey man, that's very, very sweet, but yeah, you don't need to do that. You don't need to allow the enemy to dominate your thoughts like this. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look in verse 14. We were, we were almost there just a minute ago. Hey, let me encourage you guys. Let, if, if we're trying to make sure that we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes, you have to realize that the enemy has schemes out there. You have to realize that he's pretty good at tricking people because he's been doing it to most people most of the time for most of the existence of mankind. So at, sometimes we have some thoughts that we enter our mind and we give ourselves too much credit because we can wallow in these thoughts, we can wallow in these processes and not even understand that it's the enemy planting seeds, not even understand that it's the enemy luring us to do things, luring us down a path that we are unaware of in that moment. What we're trying to do tonight is kind of sound the alarm, is to say, hey, we need to be paying attention to what God is doing in our midst and what the enemy is desiring from us. Pastor Matt mentioned praying for the One Association meeting. I think that is of utmost importance for us as a church. I think it's for the utmost importance for you and I to be faithful to this, understanding that what the Lord is doing in, these one, in the One Association conference is going to last for generations. If we do this rightly, this is the generations of people that will go on the mission field, that will be doing things. The truth is, is I'm going to the One Association conference, and it may be that, that my children find a future spouse. What? Not now, though. Right? We're going to get a rain check on that. They might meet them now. You don't know what ministry partners are going to come out of meetings that you have with people from other churches. You don't know what the Lord is going to do, so we need to be ready. Pastor Justin Johnson from King's Harvest Fellowship shared this passage of Scripture the other night. If you missed Monday night, you missed a beautifully timed word from the Lord. Pastor Justin talked about us being the fragrance of God. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. It says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. You like that? Always leads us. If you follow Him, it may not always feel like you're being led in triumphal procession, but it says that thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be spreading the, spreading the fragrance of what it's like to know God. Everywhere that we go, this fragrant offering unto the Lord. For we are to God, we are to God, the aroma of Christ. What, <laughs> what do you smell like tonight? Well, if we're in Christ, if we're following Him and walking in His victory, we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. In other words, to everybody that's around, to God we are the aroma of Christ. Look at verse 16. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other the fragrance of life. What, what is the important part about this? The fragrance hasn't changed at all. 
The fragrance is what the fragrance is. If we smell like Christ, then we smell like Christ. If we are a fragrant aroma, something pleasing, something savory, something beautiful, then we don't change to what happens is the way that people perceive that. To some, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life itself. And who is equal to such a task? Goodness gracious, that's a great question then. If you're supposed to be the very fragrant, if I'm supposed to be the very fragrance of Christ, golly, who's equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Uh Uh-oh. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 while we're on this subject. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm basically recapping a little bit of what Monday night was for those of you who weren't able to be with us during Foundations with Pastor Justin Johnson. Chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians, it says this, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. (laughs) Uh, Got to hang out a little bit with Daniel and Randy today. Deacon was there. And they were sharing with me that Deacon is in this phase. That whatever they say, he's just mimicking. You know, don't do that. Don't do that. Right? Anything that they're saying anywhere, he's just starting to repeat it. it. It's amazing what can come out of an adult's mouth, but it sounds very different when it comes out of a child's mouth, doesn't it? it makes us kind of stand on edge and make sure that what we're saying is proper in front of our kids because out of our mouth, eh, it's no big deal. When it comes out of somebody who's supposed to be pure and innocent, whew, yeah, we might want to refrain from that. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Just the way children love to imitate their parents. Wear the, wear the jacket that's just too big because daddy wears it. Wear mama's pretty dress shoes so they can walk around the house like a little princess. This is the desire of children. This is supposed to be our desire. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant what? Offering, offering and Boy, it's one thing to give the Lord an offering, isn't it? What do you do? What is an offering? An offering is something that you're choosing to give. You're deciding that it's something that you can give, and you're giving it to the Lord. Amen. Lord, I love giving you offerings. You know why? Because it's kind of my choice. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a requirement. This is just something extra because I love you, Lord. What about the sacrifices that we give? Sacrifices are designed to cost us something. They're designed to bring a death into us that God may may accept us and bring us life. Jesus Christ was a fragrant offering, free will, and sacrifice, a requirement on your life. How are you doing in your offerings and your sacrifice? Both of these concepts, that we can give both of these unto the Lord, and if we do it right, it is a fragrance that He accepts. Let's turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's start in verse 23. <clears throat> John 12, 23. Say there when you're there. Yeah. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, unless there's a sacrifice from this kernel of wheat, it remains only a single seed. Everybody say single seed. seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Church, what in us needs to die tonight? What in us needs to die so that whatever was started off in us, whatever the, the dreams, the hopes, the thoughts, the burdens that we have, what needs to die in us tonight so that there can be many seeds that are produced? The man who loves his life will lose it. Let me put it this way for us tonight, because, look, we're, we're, we're mainly home folk here tonight. We welcome our visitors and our guests here, family members that are here. But let's talk to the home people for just a second. The man who loves his life will lose it. Do you still have areas in your life that you really just love? Those older things that we hold on to. Maybe it's thought processes. Maybe it's things that we haven't discovered we don't want to pay attention to in our life because we really just kind of like the way it is. The man who loves his life will lose it. While the man who hates his life... Let's put it this way. Do you hate 
your natural life? Do you hate those things about you that you know are displeasing to the Lord? Do you hate those tendencies that you have? We like calling them tendencies, don't we? We like calling them issues in our life, don't we? Because it allows us not to hate what is in us. The only way that this works, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. How are you doing it hating everything else but the true life that Christ gives? It's hard to answer that, isn't it? If you answer too quickly, I worry that you haven't thought about it deeply. I have, to, I have to tell you that the Lord has been working on my heart today to go, yeah, there's still some parts in your life, Wade, that you actually just still love. That you don't hate the way I want you to hate it. Let's keep our place here in John 12. I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's look at verse 35. If you're but a single seed, that's not going to produce much of a harvest, is it? A single seed. Let's look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35. If you have uh, section, headings, section headings in your Bible, it might say the resurrected body. Let's see what the Word is teaching us about this. Verse 35 says this, But someone may ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body... Will they come? <laughs> How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Are you trying to reap a harvest for things that haven't died in you yet? Are you trying to receive all the blessings of the Lord or to receive His, His goodness in your life? But the truth is, is you haven't let the seed die yet so that it can be producing fruit in you. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed. Perhaps of wheat or of something else. What did Jesus say in John 12? Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. Here the apostle is saying, perhaps a seed of wheat. You don't, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but you just plant a seed. Let's Let's, let's, let's talk about this for just a second. We want to have the, the resurrected part of our lives. We want to see the Lord working in His full glory in us. Lord, I want to produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold for You. But I'm still feeling like I'm just working with a seed in my own life. We've got to lay these things down. There is no harvest without a seed that dies. Verse 38, but God gives it a body as He has determined, and to each kind of seed, He gives it its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Look in verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Everybody okay with that thought? This body is not the final body that we get. It's sown as perishable. It will be harvested as imperishable. A glorified body. What about our walk with the Lord though? Don't we do the same thing? Don't we have the natural first and we sow this and it is perishable? What we have to offer is broken. It's corrupt. It's, it's only so much and we have to sow it into the Lord fully. We have to take up our cross daily and follow Him because we've denied ourselves. We have to let these things in us die. The God of all creation is calling us to make sure that we are dying and that we are dead before Him so that He may resurrect us. And yet we have this nature within us that wants to fight for everything that we can. There's a self-preservation that is, that is inside of us. If you don't believe that, let me walk up behind you and hold, my, hold your nose and your mouth at the same time. You may love me to death and you, we will be fighting in just a minute. You're going to be kicking and screaming after about 45 seconds. Why? Because, oh, pastor, I'm ready to die for the Lord. Yeah, but not right now, man. <laughs> That's not the plan. What we're saying here is that for us to reap the harvest that God has for us in our lives, 
we have to let everything die. For those of you who are called into ministry, I promise you, I promise you that your dreams and your visions of ministry are going to have to completely die before he will allow them to be resurrected. None, not one of us in here, anyone who's ever done ministry, no one gets to skip the dying of their own dreams and visions of ministry. No one gets to skip that. Let's keep reading another verse here. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is what we're trying to do, not only with our physical bodies, that one day we get to see this. We get to walk around in a glorified sense. I'm trying to do this every day with every thought, with every desire that I have. Lord, I'm sowing some things and I realize that they're perishable. But I want you to take that death and bring it to life. Not just a single seed that produces another single thing, but a seed that produces many seeds is what we found in John 12. I want to plant one thing, Lord, that will produce a crop of righteousness, a harvest of righteousness. But it can only happen when I die because if I try to keep my life, I lose it. The fruit does not come. The more that I try to keep my life, it comes by me saying, yeah, I got nothing. Lord, I am completely dependent on you. I want to die to everything within me. Yeah, but I did that yesterday. Yeah, you got to do it again today. Will I have to do it tomorrow? Yes. Yes, you will have to do it tomorrow and for the rest of your life. You have to get comfortable dying. How comfortable are you dying? You would think after a while we would get used to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable dying in certain areas. And in other areas, yeah, I'll fight you. I'll still fight you. Just like if you came up behind me and, and tried, to, tried to keep air from entering my body. I would try to be nice at first. But the longer it go, man, we, we would just have it out. I do the same thing to the Lord. Let's go back to John chapter 12. I want to read a couple more verses there before we get into the rest of our text tonight. Let's start back in 23 just to get the context. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. <laughs> I never noticed this till just now. Yeah, it doesn't even get to plant itself, does it? It just falls. It just falls. Like if you think you're going to go lay yourself down nicely. I'm ready to die now, Lord. Yeah, you're going to have to fall. There's, I don't mean a falling like sin. I mean you're going you're gonna to be out of control in this thing. It's going to just, Lord, for me to really die, I can't. <laughs> how can you plan on doing this? You don't plan on a fall, do you? That's it's just something that happens, and it takes you to this place. Yeah, I, I've had th that happen more time in my life, and I wanted to prepare for it. And I thought that if I prepared for it well, that the Lord would allow it to happen just how I planned. Yeah, He blows off our plans every time. You know why? Because the kernel of wheat is going to fall to the ground and die. It remains only a single seed. But if it dies... God, that we can die rightly in your presence. We can die to our flesh. We can die to ourselves. It produces many seeds. The harvest begins. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Look at verse 27. Now my heart is troubled. Who's speaking here? Yeah, this is Jesus speaking, right? Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? This is not, just, this is not only about the cross here. Of course it is. Of course that's the context. But do you understand that this is supposed to be our cry? Look at verse 27. Now my heart is troubled. Anybody ever have a troubled heart? Anybody have a troubled heart today? This week, this month, I can only. <laughs> now my heart is troubled. But what shall I say? Shall I say something like, Father, save me from this hour? Hey, Jesus, don't let me die. No. That shouldn't be our prayer. Lord, I don't want to have to die to myself in this area. Can you help me so I don't have to die? You know what his answer always is? 
No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. It is for this very reason that you might die to yourself more, that He might produce the harvest of righteousness through your life. When we try to get out of the death process, we miss the harvest process. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Lord, in spite of this death that I feel closing around me, would You glorify Yourself through me? Glorify Your name, God. You are righteous. You are just. I must do this because it is Your will. It's for this very reason. Then a voice came from heaven. (laughs) I have glorified my name. And I will glorify it again. That just strikes me almost as humorous. Because when I cry out to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to do this, but, but I'm going to die to self. Glorify your name. He's like, oh yeah, I've already done that. Don't you worry about it. I've done that and I've, and I've used you to do it. You know what? And I'm going to do it again. This is what he's saying. He's reminding us that this time you feel like it's the death of a dream. You feel like it's the death of, of, of your ministry. You feel like it's the death of these things. And what the Lord says is, Yeah, I'm going to glorify my name through you. And I'll have to do it again and again and again. This idea of Jesus wrestling with these things, having his heart troubled. Turn to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. (coughs) Excuse me. Psalm 13, verse 1. It says this, how long, O Lord? (laughs) How long what? Yeah, that's just the whole question. How long, O Lord? Just for real? Like, how long is this going to take? Will you forget me forever? (laughs) How long will you hide your face from me? Uh, By the way, do you see the heading for this, this, this psalm? For the director of music, a psalm of David. Like, brought to you by, right? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? I don't even have to ask you. Anybody ever in this place wrestle with your thoughts? Yeah. You wrestle with your thoughts. Don't you wrestle with your thoughts all day, every day? I heard, I don't know how you calculate these things, but I've heard it said that some scientists have proven that the average person reads between 200 and 400 words a minute. So let's just average that and say 300 words a minute. But we think at somewhere around 1,200 to 1,500 words a minute. Our brain on the inside of us is thinking four to five times faster than anything we can try to comprehend anywhere else. What does that mean? That means if our minds are not fully set upon the Word of God, you know what you're you're practicing at a rate five times faster than you can read the Word of God? You're practicing being on a crazy train. You're practicing at a rate of four to five times faster than you can even read His Word. You begin to meditate on things that just aren't right and you do it so fast and you do it so quick. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Yeah, at least the psalmist here, at least David is wrestling with his thoughts. So many times we don't even wrestle with them. We just let them have free reign in our life. We just let it go and go and go. You know how I know? Because this is the way the humans are. I had a... a, a, an attack of the enemy in my thoughts tonight. I knew that, I was, I, I knew that I'm, I'm, I'm right here going to speak about our thoughts and how we have to wrestle them rightly. You know what thought I had to wrestle tonight? I went over and prayed for somebody. I got done praying for them, and I stepped back right there, and I was like, here's the thought that I had. You are the wrong guy for this. You're the wrong. We picked the wrong guy. You know what I had to do? I had to wrestle with that thought right there in the middle of an anointed worship service because I knew that that wasn't 
that wasn't true. You know what I had to do? I had to go back. Uh, Treaster's not even here right now. Uh, Treaster gave me a word the other day, and it blessed me so much. I went, and I started reading the scripture that Treaster gave me. And I went, no, I'm just not going to fall prey to that. My, you know what happened when my thoughts went there? My emotions went along with it. <sighs> yeah, you're probably right. There are a lot of men, there, man, there are people in this church that would be better. Yeah, that's not even the point. It's an attack of the enemy. How many times a day do you allow the enemy to attack your thoughts without fighting back and wrestling back? How long does it take you before you start fighting back? Do you just allow it to sit there at 1,200 words a minute inside of your head? How, how many words of, of discouragement come in there and if it's 1,200 words, 1,200 words of discouragement in a single minute. What about an hour? What about five hours? What about a day? How about a week? How many words of discouragement are you allowing your thoughts to just beat you over the head with? How many thoughts do I allow to beat me over the head with? I'm not going to do it. We're not going to do that. Let's look at, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 9. I hope this is making sense to you tonight. I hope you're quiet because you're thinking about it and contemplating it in your heart. I hope you're remembering times when you haven't rightly wrestled with your thoughts and having the Lord help you to die to those wrong kind of ways in us. Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 9. <clears throat> Say there when you're there. It says this, Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. Everybody say defiled. defiled. Pastor, I don't quite understand this verse in context of my thoughts. Do not plant two kinds of seed. Two kinds of seed. Two very differing, something that has a different nature in them. Do not plant faithful thoughts and fearful thoughts in the vineyard of your heart. Do not plant bold thoughts with timid thoughts in the same vineyard in your heart. Do not plant overcoming thoughts with those thoughts that cause you to be overcome. Do not plant pure thoughts with impure thoughts in the same vineyard. You know why? Because they both become defiled. Well, pastor, one of them already starts defiled. Yep. So even the good that you're trying to plant, what happens? It gets tainted. The Word of God is so very clear. It, doesn't, it almost doesn't make sense why you wouldn't allow two kinds of seed in a field. Wouldn't it be more advantageous? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you do some type of symbiotic relationship? One that will help take care of this and, and they nurture each other? No, because you're getting things confused. It is black and white in the kingdom. Do not have thoughts that you allow to <clears throat> walk in a 50 shades of gray or something. You cannot do that. And yet we do it all the time. We don't allow death to it. We start going, yeah, but you don't understand. This is how I am. We'll get over how you are and die to that. And find out how he is so that you can stay being an aroma of Christ to God Himself and to those around you. Let's look, let's look at back, back at verse 9. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the crops you plant, but also the fruit of the vineyard will be defiled. They both get defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. Wait, what? Do not wear clothes of wool and linen weaving, uh, woven together. It seems ludicrous that God included this in His Word unless you understand that He's trying to say, you cannot allow other things in and it be okay. It's going to taint you when you try to be like Christ and somehow like the world. You either die for Him or you're living for yourself and you can't do both. It is not proper. This is God's law to His people. It's His words of instruction on how they are to live so that they never... Truthfully, I'm not sure that I have any 
article of clothing on now that is 100% one fabric. We're just used to it in our day and time. We can mix and match. We can do cotton blends of this and, and synthetic blends of that. You know what? Do not wear clothes of wool and linen woven together. What if your, what if your wardrobe was only cotton items? <laughs> Some of you nerds are like, that's very wrinkly, right? I have to iron all the time. It'd be terrible, right? They'd be so comfy. How easily do we blend those things from above with the things of this world? Hmm. Let's turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. <clears throat> this is an important passage in our, in our church. You've heard us say it. You've heard us reference it many times. I want to start in verse 8. First Chronicles, chapter 28, and verse 8. Everybody there? Uh, is everybody there? Amen. It says this. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel, and of the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God. Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. You know what all the commandments of the Lord included? Not mixing two seeds in the same field. Not having an ox and a donkey pull a yoke together. Not having two different types of fabric woven together. That all of the commands include those that we just read out of Deuteronomy. Verse 9. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the Lord... I'm sorry, acknowledge the God of your fathers and serve Him with wholehearted devotion. Everybody say wholehearted devotion. Wholehearted. And with a willing mind. Everybody say willing mind. willing mind. There's something about our heart and our mind, our heart and our mind, our heart and our mind that have to be in the right kind of tandem so that it produces what the Lord wants it to produce. Why? For the Lord searches every heart and He understands every motive behind the thoughts. Wow. The Lord searches every one of our hearts. There's not one single heart on the planet that He doesn't constantly search. And He understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Our, our, our song that we sang tonight, Rock Kazak. It's a shortened phrase of only be strong and be courageous. Rock only. Kazak, strong. Amat, courageous. Only be strong and courageous. This is the war cry. I, I so appreciate Peyton. I thought he did an incredible job with worship tonight. Amen. I thought he nailed it. It couldn't have been done any better. I love the fact that he ended it with here I am, it sounded to me like it was a war cry from this place. A rock kazak amat kind of war cry that says, yeah, here I am. Here I am. I don't know where I was before, but right now, right now in this place, here I am, Lord. Have your way in me. Do what you want with me. I think there needs to be a little bit more of a war cry in our hearts tonight. There comes a time where, we've got to be, where we're gentle and the Lord deals with us as, as gently as a lamb. And it's a beautiful thing. And I'm the first one to cry. That's kind of how I do, right? I will start tearing up and get all emotional. Yeah, that's not how I feel tonight. I feel tonight like there's a war cry that's going off in my soul. It's crying out. Here we are, Lord. Here we are. You do what you want to do with us. If that requires death in us, then so be it, because here I am. We need to have a little bit more of a, of a war cry that goes on where we're not quite as worried about offending those around us as we are about crying out to Him, having a shout of victory in our hearts. We're going to end tonight. I don't know how we're going to do this, Peyton. I'm throwing it out there and praise God for anointed men. I want to end with a, with a shout of praise tonight. Because I really do. When I hear us shouting, and it's not the words on the song. I'm not saying that you're singing the words on the song. 
I'm saying the part that comes in between. It sounds to me like a shofar going off. It sounds like it's like, yes, it's starting to shake the earth beneath us. It's starting to awaken our own, so own souls as it is the spiritual realm around us. We're starting to make things tremble when we do these things. First Chronicles 28 says to be strong and do the work. As he's saying this, the, the, the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. Doesn't that sound like a familiar New Testament passage? Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. How is it that he searches the heart and he understands the motives behind our thoughts? <laughs> it's because he's the very word of God. Chapter 4 verse 12. Very familiar passage. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. In First Chronicles it says that it's the Lord that searches the heart. Here we see that it's the Word of God that can search the heart. Yeah, because, because it's the same thing. It's the same person. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit. Everybody look up at me for a second. I mean, let's be real. If you had to explain to my seven-year-old daughter the difference between soul and spirit, and really, really get it just right so that she can have a clear understanding. I think this is a harder thing to talk about than we give it credit for. He divides between soul and spirit. Yep, he sure does. Praise God, he's good. Yeah, yeah, but if you're not careful, you don't know the difference. When we're going along in our everyday, have you ever gone, yeah, I don't really know if that's the Lord. I don't know if that's what I want. I don't know if that's my thinking. I don't know if the Lord's telling me this. Am I the only one that's ever had to fight through this? The Word of God is sharper. You know why? Because it can penetrate down and divide between soul and spirit. Man, that is a sharp sword. If we are not only allow, allowing the Word of God to be within us constantly, constantly, those 1,200 words a minute are just rattling things and it gets everything on the inside of us, it's hard to tell. I can't even tell my own thoughts. I feel like in my heart there have been people who've been walking around in cloudiness lately. The internal part of you has been murky. It's been, God, I can't even seem to make a clear decision. Kind of like me when I wake up in the morning and I haven't had coffee. Don't ask me a tough question right now. Not sure that I can get the names of my family members right. Just give me a few minutes. Right? How much more important is this? Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing between the soul... The Greek word here is psyche and the pneuma, the spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Your thought process. And even the attitude behind your thought, no matter how much we as adults have learned how to project a different attitude than what we really feel. We smile when, we're, when we might be upset with somebody. The Lord, the word of God judges between these things. It judges between our thoughts and our attitudes. And it's telling us. He will tell us when our attitude is out of line. He will tell us when our thoughts are out of line. Because He loves us and He wants to see us produce fruit. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We were in 2 Corinthians earlier. Let's look at verse 10. It says this, But God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? So if I walk up to Judah, what is the Bible saying? I really don't know what his thoughts are. He could be saying one thing and thinking another. He could not be talking. How am I going to know exactly what he's thinking? What knows what he's thinking is the Spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. <laughs> you cannot know the thoughts of God except through the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world. We don't have two kinds of seeds that we're planting. But the Spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given. Everybody say understand. understand. When you have His mind, you can understand what He's freely given. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths 
and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He's of a different substance. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Anybody ever witnessed to somebody? And you're trying to talk to them about the most, what seems the most basic of spiritual principles and it's just, just not happening? Yeah, it's because they're trying, to, they're trying to interpret it in a spiritual way. That's why no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit begins to draw them. Unless the Spirit is able to begin to speak to them. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. I didn't think we were supposed to judge. Yeah, you need to read your Bible better. The end of that passage is, yeah, take the plank out of your own eye so you can rightly judge your brother and get the speck out of his eye. Yeah, if you have the same arguments that you can find on Twitter or Facebook or any old wretched person about that and you haven't dug far enough in the Word, shame on you. We're not supposed to judge. Apparently the Word of God says here the spiritual man, man makes judgments about all things. If you're not sowing two kinds of seeds, you can rightly see what the Word of God says and be able to bring about justice on this planet. You are supposed to rightly, spiritually judge all things. You can like that or not, but that's the truth. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. We're not putting ourselves on an island. We're not saying in rising above this. We're actually putting ourselves rightly in this. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. Look at the last phrase. But we have the mind of Christ. Does it say we will get the mind of Christ? One day you might earn your way to being able to have the mind of Christ. This is past tense, yes? We have the mind of Christ. What happens to us, though, is we don't operate in the mind of Christ. To have it and not operate in it Puts you on a crazy train. Puts you out of your mind. Puts you out of the mind of Christ. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. This is a, this is a Peshat kind of verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive a few of our thoughts to make it... No? And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You put to death every wrong thought. You take them captive every single time. How are you doing taking captive every thought? Do you just say that that's a ridiculous thing, that you can't really do it, that God didn't really mean what He just said in His Word and throughout the Word, not only in the Scripture? It's not really possible for us to do that. I mean, after all, nobody's perfect, right? Or are you working to take every thought captive? Have you let your guard down in your thinking to the point where you have not taken a thought captive in a long time? When was the last time that you had to do what I had to do tonight before I stepped up on the stage? When was the last time you got a thought and went, nope, not, no, I'm not putting up with that. That is not according to God's word. I'm going to fight that right now. I'm going to take it captive. I remember being a young man. And the only way that I can express this to you is that I felt like on the inside, nothing was happening on the outside. No voice, no, no sound was coming out. But on the inside, I felt like I had to start screaming inside. Ah, I will not think that. I literally, I was learning how to take my thoughts captive. I was 16, I was 15, I was 18, and I was having to learn how to take those thoughts captive. You know why? Because if I don't, they're going to run off. They're going to build up an entire kingdom on the inside of me that is some other seed than a holy seed. And I don't want it to have, to have that happen. Friends, can we, can we wake up just a little bit here? Can we wake up and actually start taking care of our thoughts better than what we do? Take every thought captive. When you let them stick around too long, it causes you problems. The second that you understand that the thought, that you are having a thought, the truth is, is at first you kind of let it go for a while and you go, wait a minute. Ever had a conversation with somebody and then you leave and you're like, wait a minute, they just insulted me. <laughs> yes, because you weren't paying attention, dude. You, you thought, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and you were fine and then you got more and more mad as it went on because you kept thinking about it? You know, they, I bet you they were talking about this. 
Yet, as soon as you realize that you are having thoughts that are out of alignment with God's Word, you must address them immediately. You must take drastic and, and violent efforts to get these things under control. Because we demolish arguments and every pretension that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient. How are your thoughts? Are your thoughts obedient to Christ? If they're not, it's your responsibility to make them be obedient to Christ. Turn to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139. <coughs> Let's start in verse 17. It says this, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Yeah, wouldn't, don't you want to exchange your thoughts for his thoughts? Yeah. Boy, isn't that a great way to be? Boy, how much pressure would it lift off of you? How much life would it bring to you? How much in your everyday life? Yeah, Pastor, we understand it's our thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm trying to sound an alarm tonight. The battles that are ahead for our church, the battles that are ahead for your life, you have to get your thoughts right now. Why? Because you're going to be battling yourself. If I'm sitting here worried about if I'm the right guy, you know what I can't do? I can't do this for you. How can he hurt all of us? If he can pull some of us away, if he can pluck some of us off, you know what it does? It hurts the whole group. Why? Because you've been made ineffective. And he didn't even have to sink your battleship. He just got worried and consumed in your own thoughts that you're of zero use to the kingdom. You begin to try to preserve your own life and you end up losing your life. Come on, this is true. This is true. This is true. We've got to wake up. There's got to be alarm bells that are going off in your heart right now that are, that are causing some type of visceral reaction within you. When Pastor Eric read about that the Lord was moved with compassion because they were harassed and they were hurting because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The idea of compassion there is that something was moving on the inside of Christ. He didn't just look at it and go, oh, I feel bad for them. He was moved viscerally. He was moved internally. We have to get where we're shaking off some of what's going on in our hearts and go, Lord, move me tonight. Lord, change me tonight. Psalm 139, verse 17 how precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Look down at verse 23. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. Go back to verse 19. It's too good to skip. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. You know what happens when you start having the right kind of thoughts, the right kind of seeds going on in your life? Yeah, you get mad when God gets mad. You don't put up with unrighteousness around you because you realize it's this two-seed principle, not in you anymore, but in the area that you're in and you're not willing to put up with it. You know why? Because you've been practicing on yourself. You've been dying to self. You've been denying yourself. And so you know what? You go, it's not acceptable for you to do it either. It's not acceptable for me. It's not acceptable for those who are around me either. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Yeah, we understand this in a natural realm, right? Somebody's going to pick on my kids, they're picking on me. Somebody picks on one of my friends back in the day, man, you'd all go to, you'd all go to blows if somebody was picking on one of your friends. Yeah, we're going to do this in a righteous kind of way, but if anybody sets themselves up as an enemy of God, they're absolutely my enemy immediately. Look at verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's almost like you're asking Him to discern the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Yeah. If you had to number the anxious thoughts you have in a day. Yikes. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Isaiah 55, 6. It says this. 
Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the evil man forsake His thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on him and to our God for He will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. (laughs) How obvious is that, right? If you're sitting here in agreement tonight with me, I appreciate that. But I want you to grasp a hold of His thoughts are not our thoughts. We have to get into the mind of Christ. We have to allow His thoughts to take over our thoughts. We take ours captive so that His thoughts may reign. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Elevate your thinking because you are, have your mind, you have the mind of Christ at work in you. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire. I have to tell you, there are many things in my life that I've allowed to go out and they came back empty pretty much the defining characteristic when I just have a thought and I go out and do it. It produces little to nothing. When I can allow His words to be rampant in my heart, to take total control of my mind, it always accomplishes what it's supposed to. Luke chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Luke chapter 2. And by wrap it up, I mean give us an opportunity to correct our thoughts. Luke chapter 2, let's look at verse 23. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to your people Israel. Ah, what a beautiful, what a beautiful saying. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about them. How would you like to do that? The child is a couple of days old. You're coming in there. They're marveling at what's going on. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, you ready for this blessing of of a statement? This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Why was he a sign that was going to be spoken against? so that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed. You know what the Lord does in difficult things? You know what the Lord does when we hold on to the standard? He allows the thoughts of our heart to be revealed. That's why we have to do what Psalm says and says, Lord, would you search me now? Would you help me now? Because there's one day where my thoughts are going to be revealed. When I, when I encounter you, Lord, I want to have my thoughts made right by you. I invite the death process now so that I can live rightly. I invite you to search me now. Why would I want to go around hiding things? Oh, yeah, right, because I'm weak. Oh, yeah, that's right, because I'm prideful. Why don't you tell people the things that are going on inside of your heart? Aren't you afraid? When, when you know that you need to, to bring something up to someone, is it, is it, for some of us, there's a fear that gets there. Oh, that's right, it's, it's all of us. There's a fear that we won't be accepted. There's a fear of something. You know what happens? Lord, I invite these things now. Would you come in even beforehand? I lay myself bare before you, Lord, that you might examine me rightly because you always do it right. And I want you to cause these other things, anything that I'm still holding on to. If any man loves the world or the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Lord, I don't want to have one iota of me that's still loving comfort. I don't want to have one iota of me that's still loving something other than you. Lord, would you come in and do this for me? Would you fix my thinking? Would you fix my thinking? Lord, it goes so fast. Would you show me? Would you reveal these things to me? Would you reveal the thoughts of my heart, Lord? 
Would you discern them in me that you can come and help me to write them? The book of John says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to people. You know why? Because he knew it was in the heart of men. Genesis chapter 6 says that I was talking to Nick before service. To me, it sounded like a radio broadcast. But it says that the thoughts and the intents of man were only evil all the time. 99.9, only evil all the time. That's the way it sounded in my head anyway. What a horrible thing. Only evil all the time. Well, I guess that makes it clear, doesn't it? Yeah, if we're measuring the percentage of our holiness, if we're measuring our holiness by the percentage of what right thoughts are going on in our, in our mind and our heart, let's move beyond actions. We, we already know that. We already know that we're going to be, like, we've, we've got to stay away from sin. But what if you measured it by the thoughts and the intents of your heart? Because God does. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 1. It says this, As for you, you who were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. (laughs) We've denied ourselves. We've died with him made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. And on it goes here. We have to, those, those old ways of thinking, we have to make sure that they are completely rid from us. Two more scriptures. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And let's look at verse 10. Revelation 2 and 10 says this, Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. But look at the response. Be faithful even to the point of death. You know who he was speaking to here? The church at Smyrna. The word Smyrna is another word for myrrh or for death. If we want to be a fragrant offering, as Pastor Johnson talked about to us on Monday night, we have to be faithful even to the point of death. As a matter of fact, we're going to have to be faithful even to the point through death. And I will give you the crown of life. That exchange that the Lord always gives us from death to life is what we're after. Last scripture, Peyton, if you'll come on up. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. It says this, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. There are many other scriptures that I, that I could have used here, but this one hit me in a unique way tonight. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. You know what? The way that I read it the first time tonight or this afternoon was fix your thoughts. <laughs> the truth is, I think the word of the Lord for us tonight is you've got to fix your thoughts. They're broken. They're tattered. They're torn. We're going to fix them by placing them on Jesus, by contemplating and only setting the things, that, not of the things of this world, but set our hearts on things above, set our minds on things above, as Colossians 3 says. But right now, what we need to do is we need to fix our thoughts. If we can come into a house of God like this, the finest church that I've ever seen, the finest church that I've ever been a part of, 
and have difficulty entering into His presence. Come into a service and not walk out victorious, but walk out pretty much the same way we were when we got here. Still burdened. Still heavy laden. Still troubled. Still allowing our thoughts to run away with us, even in the middle of a service. Even in the middle of the Lord speaking to us. And allowing thoughts to not only creep in, but just barge in. Kicking the door open and we go, I I don't know what to do. Yeah, we're going to take every thought captive. We're going to fix our thoughts tonight. You know how? Because we're not going to focus on the things that are around you. We're going to cry out to the Lord that He would help us and fix our thoughts tonight. I feel that this is a, a, a warning, a warning call to us. This is a warning. It's a, it's, a, it's a blast from the trumpet of God for us tonight. Fix your thoughts tonight. Fix them. Don't allow them to stay where they are. If you need to repent to the Lord tonight, then you must repent. And it needs to be an ongoing thing. We've got to get our thoughts into alignment according to His Word tonight. Would you stand with me?